this morning i want to speak to you on a, on the power of focus i i've seen uh, uh in my journey uh, a lot of christians start out with a focused life and uh, and then suddenly some distraction comes in that journey and uh, they lose sight of what they are in this world for when god touches our lives it is clearly for a purpose it's not an accident definition of focus the ability to discern what matters most spiritually in your life and then act on it that's important a lot of people know what god wants them to do but around 90% never end up doing what they are called to do and so spiritually speaking they live a less than life i mean they'll go to heaven there's no doubt about that because salvation is a work of grace but they never finish well never finish well and i think as pastors that's a, a tension that we struggle with and 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 of course we don't let it get into our spirits because it will affect our own destiny and purpose you see people with so much of potential and and you think if god can just only you know strike that guy with a bolt of lightning and thunder and get him on his knees and and see something happen in his life uh, and do what god wants to but god doesn't work that way because we have freedom of choice we are saved by grace but we have freedom of choice you and i define and determine our destiny in one sense because unless we partner with god what he has purposed for our lives won't come to pass and then on the other hand you see people who you know in 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 the normal day to day run of things don't seem to amount to much and they accomplish great things for god the 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 distinction between them and some of us is that those guys not only responded to the grace of god but they focused on the things that were important the bible has there's a tremendous verse which which a lot of people get confused about jacob have i loved and esau have i despised wow jacob means thief supplanter liar i mean you can't get worse if you want a bible data that's worse just just look at the life of jacob and yet god chose him god chose him above his brother because jacob was focused on one thing he wanted that birthright he knew the value of the blessing and he would lie and cheat in order to get it and so god looks beyond human limitations and on the other hand esau he sold his birthright 
for a bowl of soup. Wow. You have many people like that in the kingdom of God today. Focus enables us to prioritize what is important in my life. So there are some things I say no to because I can say yes to the things of God. I, I, I remember a certain person who, who told me 20, 30 years ago, 34 years ago, you know, uh, Pastor, I believe God has a great purpose for my life and, and we are called to go to around the world preaching the gospel and, and so we have to leave uh, Harrisfield Primary School Hall and follow that direction. 34 years later, he hasn't even gone to Tasmania to preach the word. Good on him. I'm serious. And that's not the only one. That's not the only one. In the journey, there are several. And your heart breaks in a pastoral sense that you know within your heart that God has destined somebody for something. But unless they are willing to partner with God in that journey called destiny, but God's purpose cannot come to pass. And you end up living a less than life. Less than. Jesus had a clear understanding of his purpose. He knew exactly, with precision, what his father had called him to do. And the question I throw out to you this morning is, do you know why you exist? I know why I exist. And I try to the best of my ability to give myself wholeheartedly to that purpose. Focus helps bring clarity to what you believe is the will of God for your life. So God reveals his will to us through his word. But it doesn't end there. Once we discover that purpose, we focus on the journey, not on the distractions. There are so many, many things in this modern day and age to distract us from our destiny. And they all might seem good externally. But Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, right standing, and everything else will be added unto you. But often we go searching for the additions and then we end up living a subtracted life. Some people spend their time and energy to manage somebody else's emotions. And that's the wrong focus. You know, the job of the church is not to straighten out people. The job of the church is not to straighten out people. Only God can do that. Amen? And a lot of Christians, good ones, who carry the King James Version of the Bible because that's the only authorized version. There's, there's another version called the NIV 
and they call it the non-inspired version. But if you give a new uh, a new believer a King James version, thou us, thee with us, they wouldn't make sense of it. So the NIV makes sense. And and they give a lot of their energy to try to straighten another Christian out. And sometimes we need to take a hard look at ourselves in the mirror and try to straighten our own life issues out. Amen? Very few agree with that one. God hasn't called me to fix the problems of the world. He is big enough to do it. It's like the lady I met at Aldi. She wanted to draw me into a conversation on Gaza. God is in charge. He's in charge. Whatever it might be, you might think he's out of control, but he's in control. So don't waste your energy. If you if if you are burdened for Gaza, pray for it, as we all should. I I had somebody uh, whom I knew very very long ago, and and we've been on different journeys together, and and I got a call from him. I was a little upset because there seemed to have been a disconnection between him and me. That's not unusual, knowing my style, and it doesn't worry me often. Uh, but I got a call from him, and, and, and the Gaza issue raised up because uh, he belongs to a different religious belief system, and and he was, you know, all hammer and tongues. And I said, at the end of the day, you and I are brothers because we come from the same father, Abraham. Huh? He knew that. But the approach was different. And I said something, if, if Abraham didn't mess up at that time, we wouldn't have the Gaza problem. He never looked at it like. And I said, my problem is not to fix the world. We don't have the capacity to waste our energy. Now, for those of you who come from Sri Lankan culture, you, you are wasting all your energy trying to fix up the cricket board. They've been trying to fix that board up for the last 40 years. And they just appointed 18 people to fix up one problem. Why did we score so low? But that's the reality. And so three or four matches later, they did one better than 54. They got out for 55. So they couldn't break the first record. Because our self-esteem is linked to how good we do on the cricket field. Including Christians. Including Christians. Maybe some of you sitting here this morning. Right? If you want to know how to play cricket, look to Maxwell as the model. And he's Australian. You can't beat that. Take a long time. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Hey, hey, hey. Some of my friends watching me are going to hate my guts, but they hate me anyway, so I just keep going. There's something resilient about the Australian spirit that we can admire and learn from. You want to another one? No, I'll go. I'll keep, I'll keep focused. I'll keep focused. I'm not trying to distract me. 
Jesus didn't focus on the obstacles. He had obstacles within the temple. There were the religious leaders who opposed him, the Pharisees and the scribes. And, 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 and they said to Jesus, you are trying to usher in a new order. Jesus said, yes, I am. You can't put the new wine into the old wineskin. Some churches have tradition. And tradition is good as long as tradition is our servant and not our master. You would think that the religious people of Jesus' time would be happy that the expected Messiah had come into the world, but they weren't. Yesterday I watched a post from a, a member of the IDF in Israel. The IDF has 300,000 soldiers. But, she said, of the 300,000, there are 1,000 who are followers of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Wow. 300,000 and only 1,000. So all Israel isn't Christian. They're Jewish. And if I remember correctly, there was a law to be introduced in Israel prisons that you can't preach the gospel. Wow. So rejection is nothing new to Jesus either. But he walked past that distraction and he didn't engage with it. Secondly, he had the Roman authorities who opposed him. And the political system of his time, he didn't come to straighten out political systems. So he avoided those conversations. And he kept his eyes focused on proclaiming the kingdom of God. So it's not about who will win the November 2024 election in USA. It's not about who will replace Daniel Andrews in Mulgrave the coming week, I believe. It is the reality that God is still in control of this universe. And if he is in control of the universe, he should be in control of your lights. So when you shift your focus from your challenges, when you shift your focus from your obstacles, you can turn those obstacles into opportunities. That's the difference between kingdom success and kingdom failure. Jesus didn't focus on the multitudes. In John chapter 6, verse 50 to 60 odd, he said, he said, you follow me only because I provided you food. That's the only reason. And when the food is gone, you'll be gone too. 
And that's the very nature of people. That's the nature of the beast in us. We come looking for a good thing and sometimes the good thing doesn't work out the way we want it to work out and then we are gone. But there are others, like the disciples, many of them, who stayed focused on Jesus as the promised Savior and Messiah of the world. In John chapter 19, verse 30, it says, It is finished. He started out with focus, and the only reason he finished well was he refused to allow distractions to take control of his life. So the question I ask you this morning is, what is your focus? I, 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 I came up with this thought. If you try to chase three rabbits at the same time, you will not even catch one. That's profound, isn't it? Sometimes we start out well. And then a rabbit shows up. And we follow that rabbit. Then another one. And then another one. And you think, now, which one should I chase? And you end up catching nothing. And you end up living a less than spiritual life. In the book of Luke chapter 4, and put that on the overhead, verses 18 and 19, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And the word anointed simply means this. He has set me apart for a work and a ministry. And every one of us carries an anointing the day we commit our lives to Christ. Everyone, without exception, who commits their lives to the Lordship of Christ through faith and repentance receives an anointing. But the development of that anointing is in our hands. That's the difference. That is why we need to constantly keep our focus on the one through whom the anointing can flow. For he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, good news to the poor, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So it's not just for Jesus. When Jesus ministered on this earth, he ministered in the fullness of that anointing. But on the day of Pentecost, he passed it on as the Spirit of God came down upon the disciples. So you have within you a capacity to do something significant for God's kingdom, if you only have the faith to believe for it. I, I heard a couple of weeks ago, uh, during the prayer time, there was somebody here with a backache, 
and uh, they were told to pray for each other and, and somebody who has never laid his hands on a dead hen to bring that hen to life prayed for somebody and the backache went. But then he stopped with the one backache. If I was him, I'll go looking for people with backaches. Stand in line. There could be something there. I'm serious. I'm serious. The church is a body. And we don't go around laying every, empty hands on empty heads. That's not what I'm talking about. But, but God has put within us an anointing that gives us divine ability to do what Jesus did. If you only believe. Jesus said, greater things than they shall you do. That's his word. That's his word. And I would encourage you to start out this way. Ask your wife, honey, do you have a backache today? Give it a go. <laughs> Maybe she won't have faith in you. Then you have a problem. But just try just just make sure you don't go and ask somebody else's wife that question. Then you'll have two problems, not one. But I honestly believe there are people in church who live below their potential, spiritually speaking. They live a less than life because in early childhood they've been conditioned about failure. They're just, if, what if, what if. Try it out. Give it a chance. The reason people, a lot of people accomplish much, who are ordinary people, is because they are willing to step out of a box and do something they have never done before. I remember when I first got saved, I had a, a director of my company ring, call me on the intercom at 4 o'clock and, and his sister's child was in hospital, general hospital, and they were all agitated. And he knew I had turned my life around. And he said, look, you know, the, 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 this is a serious thing. I know the child was about six years old at the time and, and what can we do and can you go to the hospital? I said, no, no, we can pray here. You, you, you know, when, when you God has just touched your life uh, supernaturally, you can walk on water, water because your faith is uncomplicated. It's as you journey along that it gets complicated. And we prayed. Child lived. About another two or three years later, uh, down where my wife lived, down the road there, there was a child about seven years old, uh, turning blue. Oh, I, I, I can't remember all the details, the minute details, but the child was turning blue, and, and uh, we just went and prayed. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Now our theology gets in the way. Now we are looking for a scripture to justify because somehow other, the longer we grow in the faith, the less faith we seem to have. Because our focus has shifted. When you're newly converted, 
you are fresh of the first cap of the rank. And when the Lord asks you to do something, your brain doesn't interfere with the direction. You just do it. Wow, this works. But as you go along, you begin to rationalize. Yeah, you know this and that, and you live a less than life. That's the work of the enemy to stop you from being the person God wants you to be. Jesus established his ministry with a clear understanding of the heart of God for lost and sinful and broken people. And the signs he did, the healing of, of, of sick people, the miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 were not his focus. They were to validate his ministry because his focus was to preach the kingdom of God. That produces transformation. That is the only thing that brings transformation. And I tell you something, when a person is transformed spiritually, they will grow. We don't need to fix them up. We don't need to fix them up. God is big enough to do that. Because when the Holy Spirit comes into your life through the salvation experience, not only are you saved by grace, you begin the process of what we call sanctification. It's a theological word. It's a big, long word. But it simply means this, that God will process you in the pathway of holiness. One way or the other. There was what we call the holiness movement that started many, many, many years ago. And it started as a good thing. But it went into extreme error because it lost the intention and meaning of being saved by grace and grace alone. The holiness movement started in response to what they saw was the carnality in the local church. But then they began telling ladies how long their skirts should be. And they began to control the lives of people, taking texts out of context with good intentions. And it shifted slowly in the wrong direction. We are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of the cross. And irrespective of how much somebody has failed in life, God gives us a second opportunity to make a fresh start. Now that's hard to understand if you are bending towards being a Pharisee. The Pharisees were good guys. They followed the law to its letter. And yet, the greatest rebuke Jesus had was not for sinful people, but the religious ones. 
And I would encourage you to just Google, am I a Pharisee? You'll be strange. You, you, you'll be profoundly uh, confused to, to, to realize, hey, that's me. Yeah, serious. Because we always measure other people mentally by our expectations, not God's. If you look at the book of Matthew chapter 1, which gives us the genealogy of Christ, it will be an embarrassment. Read Matthew chapter 1. If you are sitting here and you are feeling good enough spiritually, read Matthew 1. There are people there that you would be embarrassed to have in your bloodline, but they are in his. Wow. Dennis. One was an adulteress. In Asian culture, we scale adultery very high. But in the Bible, pride is equally high. Pride is subtle because we can't see when we have it. Some people look proud, but they're very humble. Some people look humble, but they're very proud. They are proud that they're humble. Work that out. You know, Pastor, I'm very humble. I say, I can see that. You said it all. For those of you who didn't hear it, I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it again. Uh, the, the, there was a lady in 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 our church in Sri Lanka. She used to always pray for me. Oh God, I can do without her prayers. She's dead and gone now, so it doesn't matter. Uh, okay. Uh, so one day she came to me, and uh, you you know these spiritual ladies, a bit elderly, and and uh, they're going looking around with their eyes open, whom to catch. Uh, like a lizard looking for flies. Oh, yeah. I have both eyes on them. <laughs> she said, I'm praying for you. I said, yeah, thank you. So what are you praying for? That God, because I got the platform to preach at Calvary Church and some of the others didn't get it. She said, I'm praying that God will keep you humble. And I thought, I got upset at the saying. But then I realized that God will keep you humble. So that means I'm humble. Now some of you are praying for me in that direction also, but it's all right. I think God can handle my pride better than you can. Amen? It's always the ladies. They seem to have this special calling in life. Pray for yourself first. Pray over yourself. There are others who say, Pastor, can I talk to you for two minutes? I never give a lady two minutes. Because it's not going to end at two, twenty average. And they still haven't come to their first point. And, and they say, can you pray for my husband? 
Yes, God give that man grace to be married to her. Give him grace. I don't know how he does it. Of course, I can't tell them that because some of them are sitting here this morning. Are you getting the point? Focus. And all the men said, Ah, oh, yeah, right, that's I got it. So our core motivation as followers of Jesus should be to do what he did. To engage with people. That was his focus. He spent time with his father in a quiet place. But he didn't spend his entire life in the quiet place. He got up early morning, long before day, and spent time in the quiet place. And out of the energy and the anointing that he drew from the Father, from the quiet place, he went down to the people and he ministered the grace of God to them. So the anointing of God is given for a purpose. To release God's grace and power to hurting broken people. Because hurting broken people matter to God. And if they matter to God, they should matter to us as a church. In Mark chapter 1, verses 32 to 39, the disciples came when he was in a quiet place. Everyone is looking for you. Wow. Because of the healing. Because of the miracles. But you know how he responded. He said, let us go to the next towns also. That is why I came. The message of God's love and grace mustn't be allowed to remain only within the context of the local church. It must be taken outside. That's the message. The message of the gospel. He, he didn't allow the needs of the multitude to stand in the way of the proclamation of the gospel. The disciples came because they had limited understanding of how Jesus worked, as many of us do. We want to stay within our little circle of friends and our little circle of social contacts and just bless each other. He told the disciples, no, no, no. I have come to preach the gospel in the next towns. And so he took off. Wow. He knew the importance of the word. That it is only the word, not those experiences, that can transform human lives. Wow. Wow. One person who was baptized today is a student. And we've been reaching out to them for a while. 
was contemplating a challenging decision when at three o'clock in the morning there was a text on her phone which said, God loves you, God cares for you, and no matter what you are going through right now, God will see you through. And that person changed the mind. Word of God. Word of God. That God in his grace can reach out and touch you and take your broken life and reshape it so that he can use it for the glory of God. That's God. God does his greatest works through broken vessels. If you have the humility to recognize and be honest with that brokenness, and that is where pride enters. Too proud. I can tell when people are broken, their body language, their conversation, their Facebook posts reflect that brokenness, and yet there is something within us that says, if I be vulnerable, then I'll be, find out, I'll be found out, I'll be a less than person. God can take and use less than people. Read your Bible. Brokenness is an asset in one sense in the eyes of God. Jacob have I loved. David, the greatest king of Israel, out of his line, Messiah would come. Look at his biodata. You wouldn't want David in your family. The family tree is like a banyan tree. And yet, God said, I have found me a man after my heart. You see, we need both grace and the power of God. Your broken story has power to show that God is alive. God's greatness and power is almost always demonstrated through broken lives. And people look at you and say, wow, if that person can change, God must be really God. That's what it is about. Jesus drew strength from that anointing through the quiet place. But Jesus also knew how to draw a line between what I call activity and focus. In Luke 10 verses 38 to 42, we have the story. You can put that on the overhead if you uh, can, please. Luke 10, 38 to 42, we have the story of Mary and Martha. Martha invited Jesus and the disciples to her house. Wow. And a large group came. But it says Martha got distracted with much serving. 
while Mary sat at the feet of the master and absorbed what he had to say. Martha was distracted with all her preparations. You know, now let me say this the best way I can. When we do anything in this church, let us be very careful that the activity doesn't take over the need for the anointing because you will only have a program without any visible, measurable, tangible, spiritual result. During Christmas time in Sri Lanka, uh, there are a lot of church fights. Not that they aren't here. I'll tell you why. Because they have what is called a Christmas play. And every parent wants their kid up in front. Did love me, this I know. And they can't take a tune in a bucket. I know none of you are like that's only guys in Sri Lanka. And so there, there's a fight before and after. I, when I got converted, in the first year of my Christianity, I had two guys fighting at the back of the church auditorium over the, who should sing where in the Christmas program. Because everybody, we got their cameras out and we got to get a Facebook photo. I think you lost it. That's my view. And the Sunday school teacher is in a complex situation because how do I handle all these? What are they called? The helicopter mums? I don't know what that means, but I heard that in a conversation two days ago. The one who should be right in front should be not the one that looks cute, but the one who has been most consistent in attendance in the Sunday school. No negotiation on that. But then there might be a mom who puts a lot of money into the church. And so the pastor has got to suck up to that family. Not this one. I'm serious. And before anything can even take off, there's a fight. And this is not isolated. The one season that pastors in Sri Lanka, many of them, in the smaller churches dread is the Christmas program. So they have to prepare mentally and emotionally for what's ahead. Am I right or wrong? You tell me. You've been around a while. <laughs> but when your focus is Christ-centered, you wouldn't worry where your kid is. Because it's all right, they're part of something bigger than you. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, 
you're going to be servant of all. So, Mata, Mata said, Master, can't you tell my sister to help me? Mata's focus was activity at the expense of anointing. And Jesus rebukes her. Wow. You can't erase that from the Bible till eternity. Martha got a label there. You got it all mixed up, Martha. I know what you're doing is good, but I don't need all that activity. I just want you to quietly close your mouth and sit at my feet and listen to my word so that an anointing can be imparted to you to prepare you for the next thing ahead. And thankfully, Martha learned from that experience because later on in the story, she responded differently. It's tough, isn't it? It was hard. His words were hard. His words were harsh. He said, I am not interested in activity. Activity for the sake of activity does not produce results. But when you sit at the feet of the master and your focus is on him, there is something that flows out of his throne into your life that prepares you for the work and the call that he has given to you. Jesus was intentional how we handle distractions. He determined the agenda, not those around him. In John chapter 6, verse 15, when the crowd wanted to make him a king, he withdrew. Number two, when the blessing seekers, John chapter 6, 50 to 66, followed him and, and, and wanted, you know, to eat more bread off him, he just rebuked. Wow. Gets worse. In Luke chapter 5, 15 to 16, when he withdrew from the world and shut out people, that was the secret to his anointing. He focused upward and then outward. So I want to talk to you as I bring this to a conclusion about the power of focus. You can focus on yourself. It's not about you. It's about others. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you got to be servant of all. So you keep your pride outside the door and come in with a heart fashioned to serve. A lot of people want to lead they don't want to serve. I like to lead. We all do. We lead our families first. That's the starting point. 
if you are a husband in the context of your home you got to provide leadership there first otherwise you cannot provide leadership to people in the house of god that would be a paradox scorn really what it's not about where i serve but whom i serve so then whether you are appreciated or not it doesn't matter it doesn't matter there are people here in this house who are not on a platform and they serve in the background quietly without much attention because they are focused on the master and they know where they'll get their reward that's what jesus calls us to be as his disciples when your focus is on god's call and purpose for your life you will focus on healing the brokenness around you if you ever put a post on social media on brokenness and healing it gets the highest response for one reason there is brokenness right around us and we sometimes don't see it i'm amazed at a message if a message is put on a, a screen and the theme is about brokenness you'd be surprised the number of people who are out there who respond that was the ministry of jesus the ministry of jesus wasn't trying to teach people deeper truth the ministry of jesus was simply this the gospel is good news to those who are hurting and broken because i have come into this world to give you a fresh start that's all and that's all we should proclaim that's the message it hasn't changed over 2000 years there was a guy called Saul who was persecuting the church and one day he was struck down on the road to Damascus and his life was transformed and he became the greatest apostle to the new testament church a broken man so i want to tell you there is hope in your brokenness there is hope in your pain there is life past what you might be experiencing right now because jesus feels your pain as you do and and i realize in my life that when i ask god to give me the grace to feel the pain of others he does otherwise you're ineffective you're ineffective you 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 ask god give me that empathy give me that empathy because by nature we are hard hearted by nature 
But when you ask God through the power of his Holy Spirit to give you that burden for hurting people, you begin to weep. And you begin to realize how, 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 you know, how useless you are. And you think, there I go, but for the grace of God. Focus. Jesus focused on the work that his father gave him. And that was to bring healing and wholeness to hurting, broken people. And I tell you something, when you ask God to give you that burden, God will bring people your way. You don't need to go looking for them. No judgment, no condemnation, no five scriptures. Just tell people, God cares. Out of the blue, at three o'clock in the morning, a text went to a phone that said, God cares for you. That settled the argument for the person who received that in faith. What God did in that person's life, God can do in your life too. There is nothing so broken that God can't fix. The only requirement is to say, Lord, here I am. Take my brokenness and do something about it. Shall we pray?